welcome to Harlow on Healthcare. I'm David Harlow, and I invite you to join me by my virtual hearth as I sit down with healthcare leaders to discuss building the future of healthcare. Today, my guest is Jonathan Shannon at LexisNexis, who works in the healthcare group there. Welcome, Jonathan, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me a little bit more about what you're focusing on at LexisNexis. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, my name is Jonathan Shannon. I'm a senior director in the healthcare strategy team at LexisNexis Risk Solutions, uh, and I'm responsible for what we call our interoperability solution line. And in that role, uh, I'm responsible for building out our strategy and our capabilities related to enabling the exchange of data from where it currently sits today into the hands of individuals so they can make more meaningful decisions about their care and loop in uh, appropriate caregivers and analytics firms to help them manage their healthcare journey. So interoperability is a big word. We've been hearing about interoperability for quite a long time. Uh, Some of us may think that that's a promise that hasn't been kept from the early days of EHR certification, uh, Recovery Act, High Tech Act, et cetera, et cetera. There have obviously been developments along the way. So what does this year's model look like? When we say interoperability, what do we really mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you're spot on. I mean, HIPAA, a lot of people forget the P in HIPAA stands for portability of data. And so I think you're you're correct in your assessment of the current state of affairs or the way things used to be around data exchange. There is this adverse incentive for holders of data to maintain that data to keep patients and members where they are because they viewed as if they, that data belonged to the holders of the data today. Now, in 2016, in the last few months of the Obama administration, there was a huge bipartisan effort to pass something called the 21st Century Cures Act. And with the 21st Century Cures Act, part of that was an interoperability portion of the bill. And it enabled CMS and ONC to really develop standards and rulemaking around how data exchange in healthcare should work. And it fundamentally changed the power dynamic as it relates to patient data. And patient data was made very clear uh, to be owned by the patient themselves. Right. So if your data is held at your health plan or in an EHR, historically, the view was, well, that belongs to the health plan of the EHR. And this mandate and the rule associated rulemaking that followed said, absolutely not. This data belongs to the individual, and it is their choice to extract it and share it with whomever they see fit. So if you wanted to share it with another provider, or if you wanted to share it with a wellness app, or if you wanted to share it with Amazon so they would give you discounts on a digital scale or what have you, it is your prerogative to do so. And so the associated rulemaking that came out after that 2016 lawmaking has enabled that. And it's created the technology by APIs, the application programming interfaces, and also the standards through HL7 to create something called FHIR, F-H-I-R, which allows for a standardized means to exchange this data. And those are the things that we didn't have before. Let me me break in for a sec and just observe that patient quote-unquote ownership of data, I think, probably predates all of this. And the digitization of data, I would argue, sort of created the perspective or the perception on the part of others that, that they whose systems the data resided on sort of owned the data. 
and and it does get complicated. It's sort of hard to think of property rights in mm-hmm. uh, information or data and thinking about, well, if it was a paper record in, in the old community hospital basement medical records room, that's sort of one mm-hmm. thing. But now when we think about records, it's another thing entirely. Property in any context is really sort of a bundle of rights, right? It's not, it's yeah. not a single right. It's not a on or off single dimension here. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of folks in the system and a lot of players here, patients, clinicians, plans, hospitals, other quote-unquote helper apps and services yeah. along the way that have interests in having access to the data, maybe, versus ownership of the data. And even as you know, as recently as this week, or frankly, every week, every month, there's yet another action taken by the government uh, in enforcing HIPAA rights of access, where patients mm-hmm. can't seem to just get a darn copy of their own record from a healthcare provider. So that sort of enforcement continues. But here we're talking Absolutely. about a different animal, so to speak, where we're really at the cusp of realizing the promise of interoperability thanks to standardization of interfaces, although some would argue, you know, there's a variety of flavors of fire. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we need to get that deep into the technical details, but okay, I cut you off. We got to the point of having interoperability standards under the rule and Yes, 21st Century Cures Act was passed in the final days of the Obama administration, and here we are, however many years later, and we're just getting to the effective date of these rules. So things do move slowly, but they move. And the question of the moment is, what does this do for us? How does provider data, EHR data, move via fire into app, into services, into other domains in a way that's useful. And related, I guess, is this question, are there other types of data, are there other sources of data that ought to be in the mix? I'm thinking payer data in addition to provider data, for example. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a great question. And so, I mean, you touched on it, I think, uh, with this idea of, you know, uh, the federal government intervening and in, in people not being able to get access to their medical records um, with, through something we call information blocking. Um, and I think that now the stance is slightly different. It, it, you can see from a federal level, the general stance is if a person requests that data, whether it be that paper record down in the basement or it's a digital copy, um, it needs to be released. And what interoperability has done is not only does it go hand in hand with this idea of information blocking and patients' right to access, it enables the technological standards to make that data move in a much more meaningful way. And you're absolutely right, different flavors of fire, not to get too technical, but there's a lot of standards development groups out there who are working on various use cases and things like that around what kind of data should be available for those. And they're doing some great work, but it, there is variability inherently in, in the amount of data that exists in healthcare. But to answer your question around how does this change things, I mean, you've seen the migration to digital in other industries, right? So things like financial services, things like travel, 
previously in healthcare, you would really trust your healthcare provider or your health plan to manage the exchange of data on your behalf. You'd sign a document in your doctor's office and you'd say, yeah, go, go ahead, fetch my data from whether it be an HIE or from another provider organization and, you know, have that continuity. And then also I'll give you some self-reported data. Uh, you know, I don't smoke. I, you know, I drink a couple times a week or, you know, whatever it may be. And I exercise three times. Now you have this different animal, right? Which is as the, the consumer or the individual or the patient or the member or whatever nomenclature you want to use for them becomes the bridge. And they actually, it, we, we achieved some of the promise that was ex- existed. There was a push for, you know, this idea of a personal health record. Now, I think people have realized that personal health records don't really work that well. People don't maintain their own records. But the ability to exchange a meaningfully standardized set of data about yourself with people who are working on your behalf is huge. And to be able to do it in kind of semi-real time. And so with this interoperability regulation and the associated rulemaking and the standardization, what you can do is you can pull up your phone and you can say, I would like to pull my data from Aetna today. And I would like to, I'm switching plans and I'd like to send it to Cigna so they can better enroll me in care management, uh, you know, know my medications, get my drug formulary prop, uh, appropriate. I'd also like to share that same data with a new doctor that I'm going to, my new cardiologist, so they can see the various procedures that I've had in the past, the things that I am pre-authorized for. And it becomes a much better interoperable system to do so. But it's highly reliant on the engagement of the member and this idea of consumerism in healthcare. So is that too much to ask of individuals, particularly at a time that may be a time of crisis, right? If you're going from one plan to another, one clinician to another, one system to another, one specialist Mm -hmm. to another, that may not be the time where I want to be the HIE, right? (laughs) I want the HIE to (laughs) just work. Individual HIE, yeah, yeah. I just want it to, to be there. Uh, no, absolutely. And I think th- there is still the ability to exchange data under HIPAA, right, for continuity of care and payment purposes and things like that. So there is still that that means. But I think what this enables is this idea of consumerism. It doesn't mean you're beholden to an uh, actor in the healthcare ecosystem to make your own decisions about healthcare and who you want to engage, right? If there is a novel app that helps you manage gastrointestinal issues and that's something you want to share the data with, and you don't want to engage your doctor to do it. You, you want to just say, hey, look, I want to see if this novel approach works for me and it's a holistic approach or whatever. Or, you know, I have, you know, I want to share my data with some of these drug discount companies so they can understand better about, you know, the types of drugs I've been taking and make recommendations about, uh, you know, generics that may be better or things that they can get price discounts for. You as an individual have the right to do that. And I agree with you. There are certain times in which you just want that data to flow. Like if you're in a car accident, you want the data, they they get their medical record. But you can still do that under HIPAA. This just enables this consumerism aspect of healthcare where people can really own their data. And instead of having to sit down every time you go to a new doctor's office and fill out 12 pages of forms or, you know, sign up for a new health plan or engage a new stakeholder in the healthcare ecosystem, with a click of a button, you can basically compel the flow of information from where it sits today to who needs it today. If you're just tuning in, this is Harlow on Healthcare, coming to you on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm David Harlow, and my guest today is Jonathan Shannon at LexisNexis. Jonathan, we're talking about data, different kinds of data, different flows of data. We've been talking mostly about electronic health record data, 
and about some patient-generated data as well. Another piece of the pie here is payer data. And I'm wondering what role you see for payer data in this new and growing ecosystem. Absolutely. I mean, it's actually one that I'm incredibly excited about. As you know, we have a very fragmented healthcare ecosystem here in the United States. And everyone kind of touches a member or patient at different uh, different points. The entity that is potentially the most longitudinal is a health plan, right? So if you think about not only do they engage you in things like care management, but they basically pay for every service that is rendered. And as such, they need to have their finger on the pulse through that, through their claims. And so as you think about the data that's in an EMR or an electronic medical record, very deep, right? They talk about your conditions. They talk about, you know, who your care team is, the medications you're on, things like that. But you think about the data that sits at a health line, they actually have a good amount of that data as well, right? For their quality measures. You know, they want to know whether or not you've had a mammogram or a colonoscopy. So they do collect a good amount of clinical data as well. But the thing that they have that is irreplaceable is your claims history. So they can see every single healthcare provider that you've touched that has rendered services to you. They can see every single script that you filled. They can see every single, um, you know, healthcare setting that you've gone to and whether or not you followed up with what would they would consider evidence-based care. So if you were diagnosed with COPD and you didn't fill your script for an inhaler, they would know that and they could follow up accordingly. And so I think health plan data has a huge role to play in this as you think about the longitudinality of a patient. Because I used to do a lot of work with ACOs, and one of the things that was most mind-blowing to some of our physicians was that they had a patient they saw all the time, and they thought they, they were, had their fingers on the pulse of that patient. That patient was going to the ER 75 times a year. There's no way that they would know that unless they were getting exchange of information. A health plan would know that because they would get the claims for both. And you can have this kind of much more holistic view of a member or patient by including health plan data in their overall patient profile. And so is this happening now? I mean, sort of the, the, the plan data as you're describing it, as, you know, as we think of it generally, is sort of yeah. a cliff notes or a, you know, high level outline, right? Date and time, what service, what date, where was it? doesn't give you the details. The details will be in the clinical records rather than the payer records. But as you said, you need that sort of assuming you have an individual with a single payer during one period of time or perhaps over a long period of time, that's, that's where the longitudinal record is and the clinical mm-hmm. records can slot in to that you know, historical timeline, so to speak. So has this been happening? Does this happen? Absolutely. So that actually, interestingly enough, with the patient access and interoperability rulemaking that came out from CMS and ONC, health plans actually had to go first. Um, so they had to orchestrate all their data and publish their APIs by July 1st of 2021. EMR vendors go next. They go um, effectively the 1st of January of next year. Um, but pay health plan data, uh, because of their, I mean, you could argue why they did it this way, but it's probably because of their budgets and their technical savviness that uh, CMS and ONC made them orchestrate their data first. And so if you are covered by a government-sponsored plan, which includes things like Medicare Advantage, Medicaid, CHIP, federal qualified health plans, you can go out to your health plan today as an active member and say, give me my data from the patient access API, and they will export it in a standardized format. 
And is that working? Are people doing this? So yeah, those are two intertwined, but slightly different uh, answers. Um, <laughs> is it working? Yes. So there is a mandate. So a lot of health plans made their very best effort. They published an API and they put data behind it. Are people using it? As you think about the groups that I just mentioned, they tend not to be the most tech savvy of demographics, right? So mm -hmm. Medicare Advantage, Medicaid, they don't, they're not the people sitting on their iPad consolidating data through something like a mint.com or, um, you know, or, 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 you know, their financial services app. So there's a lot of wariness. So the adoption rate is not as high as it would be, I think, if you were to roll this out across the commercial population. Now, the short answer is it's happening and people are starting to use it, but either intentionally or unintentionally, I feel like the advertising behind this has not been meaningful. And so people don't necessarily know this is available. I've talked to Medicare Advantage uh, beneficiaries, um, and they had no idea that they had the ability to export their data and share it with uh, with companies uh, like uh, you know wellness apps or their providers or what have you. And also the flip side is a lot of those organizations are just trying to get their hands around what kind of data is available, and so they don't know what to do with it yet. Now a lot of you know as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, a lot of them want this data, right? You know clinical data, claims data understanding where a patient's been, their, their comorbidities, everything like that is hugely valuable if you're trying to intervene in someone's care. But this is novel and new, and so it's not as adopted as we'd like. We're hoping that will change, and we think it will, but we're just at the very early part of the adoption curve. Yeah, so I'd think a Medicare Advantage plan worth its salt would be all over this, right? Yeah. That's going to benefit the plan, benefit the member, et cetera. Exactly. And there are definitely plans out there that are very good at this. Like very, very good at this. I mean, you can search for several of the Medicare Advantage plans out there, and um, uh, that you know, you just type patient access, and there's some portals out there that tell people exactly what kind of data is available for them. Um, there are other ones that are not so good at this, and actually, their their data, uh, their APIs are hidden, their developer portals are hidden. They make you jump through a lot of hoops to get to your data. ONC has specifically said that this data should be available without special effort, and there are people who are not living up to that spirit of that law. Now, but uh, there are definitely people out there, health plans out there that are absolutely doing a phenomenal job to advance interoperability, and I want to applaud them, but it's variable, as one would imagine, because it was a huge effort. And then also, I think there is a concern that if you make that data available, does it make a, a member more mobile, right? If you can export all your data from one health plan and go to another one with no real switching cost, does that make you attrit members? And that's a real question that I think some health plans are thinking. Well, I mean, there's been attrition risk and and plan changing risk mm -hmm. over time. I guess this is just one more dimension to it. But exactly. uh, you know, the most visible aspect of that might have been supplementary benefits that are available that may vary from mm -hmm. plan to plan. Things may be of greater interest to one person, one plan versus another, one year versus another. I guess this is just another dimension there. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's next in all of this? What's next as the Cures Act comes into fuller implementation, into clearer focus? What's the future in your view of the opportunities for plans, for providers, for patients? I'm an eternal optimist as it relates to this. So Take, take that with a grain of salt, but I mean, I think the sky's the limit, honestly. The free flowing and exchange of data 
allows people to make much, much, uh, much more reasonable decisions about their care. And, you know, I drew a parallel between financial services and, and healthcare as it relates to data exchange, because financial services tends to be a little bit ahead of healthcare um, on this on this front. But no one would have thought 20 years ago that you would make stock trades on your phone, right? And now people do it all the time. No one would make bank balance transfers. No one would, you know, deposit checks. But now it happens. And I think that's where healthcare is going, right? Where now you can meaningfully exchange data through a digital means. You don't have to go down to the doctor's office and get them to print out your records and then carry it across town to your new doctor. You can actually have all that information in the palm of your hand and you can share it in a modular way with the appropriate individuals to, to give your care. I think that there, as I mentioned, I think we're at the very beginning of an adoption curve and awareness is paramount, right? People know being aware of what this data can do and how they can do it. You're going to have to have a couple early adopters, companies that are kind of trailblazers that relates to this where they take this data and they make meaningful impacts on people's lives. I can think of some use cases around new member enrollment for health plans, right? You know you're switching from plan X to plan Y and plan Y imports your data from plan X. All of a sudden, day one, you have personalized care. You have brochures and flyers around you know, care management programs, discounts for specific drugs, you're enrolled in a pre-authorization capability, you know, where they already know that you need this drug and, you know, it would have to go through a pre-authorization process if you were just de novo. It could make for much more personalized care and much more personalized outreach. Something as simple as pre-fill of medical records or of uh, patient reported data would be huge, right? So you show up at the doctor's office and you say, are you, you know, is this your name? I mean, obviously they know your name, but is this your address? Is this still your contact information? Are these still the drugs you're on? Is this still the rest of your care team, your cardiologist, urologist, you know, gastroenterologist, things like that? Uh, are these the diagnoses and conditions that you have? Tell us and validate the information as opposed to pre-fill it. And especially as you think about vulnerable populations, that's massive. Um, because I know for a fact people show up in doctor's offices with bags full of prescription drugs, and they're like, I'm not really sure what this is. But if you can go to the directly to the data source and you can get that information, and allow people to validate it or ask questions about it, as opposed to having to remember it every single time they interact with a different stakeholder in the healthcare ecosystem, it becomes absolutely huge. And then you can also, at you know, point of care, you can, if you know what their drug formulary information is, you can recommend drugs that are going to have a substantially lower out-of-pocket cost, as we see healthcare costs and you know high-deductible health plans rising across the country. You know, making the most right financial decision as well as clinical decision. This data allows you to do that. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity, but it really needs to have a couple trailblazers out there using this data, intervening in pe people's lives in a meaningful way based on that information and personalized care. And then you're going to see a huge wholesale adoption of this as people get more comfortable with the idea that their healthcare data is actually not something that's just private and they need to protect behind a firewall. It's actually something that can help facilitate better care for them in the future. Sure. And I guess all of that depends on the degree of trust that individuals Absolutely. may have in the system and the providers and the technology and so forth. So uh, it's, a, it's a journey, I suppose. Uh, Absolutely. Well, Jonathan, to wrap things up, I would ask you, if you were to wake up tomorrow and find yourself five years in the future, what is one thing in healthcare whether it's a topic we've been discussing or something else, that, that one, one thing in healthcare that you would hope or maybe expect to find has changed drastically? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the aspirational view that I had before, which is I could, you know, open up my phone and show it to a new person in my healthcare journey and say, look, here's here's my data. Here's where I am. Here's all the things that are going on with me. Um, and you can treat me as an individual as opposed to someone who has as a standard uh, approach. And, you know, now you know my history without me having to, you know, repeat it all over again. It's all saved in exactly like you mentioned, a secure data exchange between trusted individuals in my healthcare journey where I can really advance my care without always feeling like I'm retreading the path and that my the view on me is complete as opposed to kind of bit part depending on who I'm interacting with. Great. I hope we get there sooner than five years from now. <laughs> me too. Me too. Thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You have been listening to Harlow on Healthcare. Join us at healthcarenowradio.com. Let's continue the conversation on building the future of healthcare together at hashtag Harlow on HC. I'm David Harlow, keeping the fire going and holding a seat open for you. Until next time. Mm-hmm.